0: See, here is water. Those words that the eunuch spoke those many years ago on that road from Jerusalem to Gaza was certainly significant. This past week, as I have prepared this lesson, I have thought often about those words, see, here is water. To begin with, I would like to discuss the eunuch with you as a way of introduction Philip had taught this inquiring eunuch about Jesus. If you'll open your Bibles and go with me through this part of God's Word for just a few moments, then we're going to introduce the lesson we're going to study today. You'll read in verses 32 through 35, the place in the Scripture where he read was this He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. You know, as you read through the Bible, preaching Jesus involves a lot of things. It involves who he is. It involves a church that he established. But it also involves preaching baptism. The cause of Side of Water was what was able to make this eunuch say I need to be baptized. See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? There's a lot of water in the Bible. And many of those passages where water is found, there are some great lessons to be learned. I want to take that word, see, here is water. And I want to go through the Bible and I want to look at four different things. I want us to look at Noah and the flood. There's certainly a lot of water there. I want us to look at Moses and the Red Sea with the children of Israel. Then I want us to look at Naaman and the Jordan River. And then finally, after we're able to survey those three, to come back and to look at you and me and baptism. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at Noah. If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, to chapter 6. Moses in his record of the life of the people during this pre-flood time describes the state of the people. And here's what Moses writes. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was was only evil continually. And the Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. For just a moment, think with me. Right after God finished creating everything that was a part of His creation, you know the words that He used to describe it? It was very good. Something happened from the time that God had created man to Genesis chapter 6. You know what it was? The fall. Man chose to sin. After Adam and Eve chose to sin, everyone after them chose to sin. And society became very wicked, very vile to the point if you will look at verse 5, the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. God now is sorry that he has made man. The world is corrupt, it needs to be destroyed. In fact, if you go further in the Bible, you will find that God's solution was to destroy the world. Look at verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. That's the way God was going to solve the sin problem. The agent of God's destruction was water, the flood of water. When you go to Luke chapter 17 and verse 27, Luke says, They ate, drank, married wives, and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all that is, every man, every woman, every beast of the field that wasn't on that ark died. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 says, And God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood of the world on the ark. On the world of the ungodly. That's the way God separated the old world from the new world. That's the way he separated sin. You see, the righteous were saved from the unrighteous by the flood. If I were to ask you, what saved Noah? Do you know what most of us would say? The ark. But that's incorrect. The ark is what saved Noah from the water, but the water is what saved the world. Listen to what Peter writes. He said, who were formerly disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is eight souls, were saved. He didn't say through the ark through water there is also an antitype which now saves us baptism not the removal of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ what is he trying to say he's trying to say you look at that old world and on this side was corruption was sin was evil After the flood, you had a cleansed world. You see, the children of Israel, or the people of the world at that time, were wicked and corrupt, and God saved the world by destroying the wicked ones from it. And the flood was that great marker. Now if you'll go with me to the book of Exodus, to chapter 14. Our second illustration is going to come from Moses leading the children of Israel through the Red Sea. They had been in bondage to the Egyptians after the time of Joseph all the way to the coming of Moses. And there had arisen a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, and he had put the children of Israel into bondage. They cried out to God because of how bad things were. And God sent Moses as a deliverer for them. He sent him to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh was hard-hearted and unconcerned, and he would not let the children of Israel go until God brought a series of plagues, ten plagues, on the Egyptians. And finally they said, go and get out. But as they were being pursued by Pharaoh, they came and were boxed in. Behind them were Pharaoh and his army. In front of them were the Red Sea. Listen to Exodus 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. You're going to see God's, notice the word that he uses, salvation. You drop down to verse 21 of that text. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. You see, the children of Israel went right through that. Now when I go to Hebrews 11 and verse 29, the writer says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You see, the Egyptians followed them right into the Red Sea, but when the children of Israel came out, the Egyptians drowned in that Red Sea. When Paul recounted this in 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, or excuse me, chapter ten, verses one and two, he said, "Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under a cloud and all passed through the cloud or through the sea." And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He calls it a baptism. They're going down into that water, passing through that water, and coming out on the other side. What this did was to separate the children of Israel from the bondage that was on the Egyptian side of the Red Sea from freedom which was on the other side of the Red Sea. Again, it was water that was used as a means of their salvation. God used water to drown the Egyptians, but at the same time to deliver the children of Israel. Now, if you'll move with me to the book of 2 Kings, to chapter 5. We're going to look at the case of Naaman we're going to learn from this very first verse that Naaman was an extremely successful general in the army of the Syrians. In fact, we read, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the kings of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, But he was a leper. Now this man had a dreaded disease. Talented, capable, but he had a problem. He had a disease that could take his life, but before it took his life, it would make him miserable, be painful. There was one of the young Jewish girls serving the wife, Of this general. And according to verse 3, it says Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. If he was only there, she knew about Elisha. She knew about the ability that God had prevented him. So what does Naaman do? The king sends him first to the king of Israel. He throws up his hands and says, I don't know what he said this man to me for. I can't do this. But then he goes to the prophet Elisha. And there were instructions given to him. The instructions were, go dip yourself seven times in the river Jordan and you will be clean. Look with me at verse 10. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now, when you continue reading verses 11 through 13, here's what you learn. He first became extremely angry at that instruction afterwards his servant came to him and said now you think about that a little bit before you go away in such anger we read verse 11 but Naaman became furious and away went away and said indeed I said to myself he will surely come out to me stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy are not the Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better waters than all of the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more when he says to you, Wash and be clean? You see, Naaman was like so many other people. He's developed in his own mind the way he thinks that things ought to go. Every one of us have our own opinions. We have our own ideas about the way things ought to take place. But see, he had instructions from God through the prophet. There's only going to be one thing that will take care of him if he does what he's saying. And so he eventually obeyed. Look with me at verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Now you think with me for just a moment. What was the agent or the means of his cure. It was the water. You see, prior to going down into the Jordan River, he was a leper. When he came up out of the water, he was no longer a leper. You can say that the water was his means of salvation. Now, when you think about the three illustrations that we have used... The flood, the Red Sea, and now Naaman. That brings us to the idea of us, you and I, with regards to our baptism. I want you to come to the New Testament with me, to the book of Luke, to chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 30. This passage describes what is in the minds of so many people today. God had sent John the Baptist on a mission. His mission was to prepare the way of the Lord. His message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And God had authorized and commanded John to teach baptism and practice baptizing people you get to chapter 7 and verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. You see, in their mind, they didn't have to do what John told them to do. And you can suppose in your mind just why they didn't. I think one of the clear indications is in their minds, baptism was not necessary. It's not something I've got to do. Maybe they were like the Pharisee of Luke chapter 18. Father, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I don't really need to be baptized. Some people think they don't need to be baptized because they're all right just like they are. But if you look at this verse carefully, it says they rejected, not the will of John, the will of God for themselves. They rejected what God had instructed them to do. And do you know there's a lot of religious groups today who are telling you or telling me, oh, you don't have to be baptized. They are rejecting the will of God and teaching men to do that. And yet, here's what I see when I go to the Bible. It was commanded by Christ. When he gave his great commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In the parallel account, in Mark chapter 16... Verses 15 and 16, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You see, Jesus in sending the command for his apostles to go into all the world said, You preach and you practice baptism. He didn't make it a matter of option. It's an obligation. Second thing you see, it was practiced by the apostles on that great day of Pentecost. When Peter preached his sermon, he brought the people to a point where they recognized... We've got to do something. We've got to make some kind of choice. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's Peter's response, verse 38. He said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let every one of you be baptized. That's what the apostles preached. They preached that it was for the remission of sins in order to receive them. You go to verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And there were that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. You see, people who hear and understand and are willing to submit did that. And you can see that practiced by those who become Christians. If you go through many of the conversion accounts as Paul and others go into various cities and preach the gospel. A great illustration is Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. This is at Corinth. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. You see, as I have presented to you, you find the teaching of the New Testament is that baptism is necessary. But let me go a little bit further. We reflected on three Old Testament passages which illustrate our point. See, here is water of the flood. See, here is water of the Red Sea. See, here is water of the Jordan River. But you realize the New Testament has illustrations as to the meaning of and the value of baptism as well. For instance, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Paul said this Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here's the illustration. Jesus died. Jesus was buried in the tomb. And then Jesus rolls back to life. You and I die to our sins. We are buried in baptism. And we're raised to walk in a new life. You see the... Parallel, the illustration there. Or if you go with me to Galatians 3, verse 27, Paul will use another picture. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The words put on are used to describe a person adorning Christ like I would put on a coat. You can find in passages like Colossians chapter 3 where he talks about taking off all the sinful things and then he talks about putting on all of these spiritual blessings. Here the idea is in repentance you take off sin and in baptism you put on Jesus Christ. Now, if water stands between one being saved, why would you wait? For just a moment, think with me in your minds, if you were there with Noah, and you're told that at 12 o'clock today, we're going to board the ark and the door is going to be closed. How many of you would want to wait to 11.55, five minutes before, and say, okay, I'm going to run, wait, and try to jump, get on that gangplank to get on that ark just before the doors closed? You'd say, that would be foolish. I might, my clock might be wrong. I don't want to wait to the last minute. I'm going to be there in plenty of time. I don't want to miss it. You think with me about the illustration of going through the Red Sea. You know there had to be somebody in the front, somebody in the back. You know that right behind the children of Israel are the Egyptians. Do you want to be the guy who is in the very last end right in front of the Egyptians? Do you want to be the straggler who said, well, I want to be the last one through the the sea, and come out on the other side. No, you wouldn't do that. You'd say, I I want to be near the front. I don't want the chance to be that I stumble and fall, stepping out of the Red Sea and fall back in. I I don't want to be at the last. I want to be at the front. Think with me about Naaman for just a moment. Naaman has been told, you've got to go dip in the Jordan seven times. And say, "Oh, you know what? I like this leprosy pretty good. I think I'll just wait for till it gets to hurt really, really bad, and then I'll go dip." No, he's going to go as soon as he can because he wants relief from the disease. If we understand baptism properly about where it stands, if we understand on this side of baptism we're lost, on this side of baptism we're saved, why do I want to wait? Why would I tarry at all? In Acts 22 verse 16 when Ananias arrived, Paul was there praying and he says, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why would you, why would I delay something so important? I want to ask you a question. Have you been baptized? If you have not, here's what you need to do. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and you are willing to turn your back on your sins, then when we sing the invitation song here in just a few minutes, you need to respond. What you need to do, if you'll walk down to the front, I'll greet you and let you sit on the front seat. After the song's over, we will baptize you. Were you baptized correctly? The truth is, is that many people in this world are not baptized correct. They're baptized into the name of some denominational group. They are baptized for some incorrect reason. And you can say, oh, Really? When Paul came to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 2, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We've not so much as heard where there is a Holy Spirit. He said, And then what were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, Indeed, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after. That is Christ Jesus. When they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you've not been baptized correctly, you know what you need to do? You need to also respond to the Lord's invitation and be baptized right, just like these people were. And the question that I am with is the one that Ananias asked. Why are you waiting? If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.